Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Good morning. Uh, it's good to see every. We have a black hole over here. Lost every. Everybody's over here now. <laughs> I'm gonna turn my podium right like this I think so no it's good to see everybody here today uh thank you Rod for for coming um he's like a brother to me now um and I can't tell you what you've meant to me and my family personally as well as the Long X Ranch Cowboys and Save the Cowboys so thank you to you and all the other Long X Ranch Cowboys out there so uh if you have your Bibles turn with me to the book of Exodus to the book of Exodus I'm going to get in trouble today. I I know I am. And I guess most of my preparation this week was preparing to get in trouble by people um, because the Exodus story isn't what you think it is. It's really not. not. Not if you go by the word of God. It's not like most people remember it. And I know you know the story of of Moses and how the Israelites went out of Egypt and and Mount Sinai and the golden calf. And I know you've heard all of those stories. But let let me tell you, the most famous cowboy story that they made into a movie was what? Lonesome Dove, right? Let me tell you what Lonesome Dove would have been like if it would have been the Exodus story you know. Two Texas Rangers get tired of fighting bad guys, so they start their own ranch in Texas. Later on, they get tired of it, move to Montana. One of them dies, wants to be buried in Texas, so they go back. There you go. That's Lonesome Dove. That's the entire story. And if you know the Exodus story, that's the version you know. Okay, that's the version you know. And today, what I'm going to ask every single one of you to do is to take God out of the box that you have put him in unknowingly. You you have literally taken God, put him in a box so that we can control the narrative. Well, the narrative belongs to God, not us. Okay, so I hope today that I promise you today, your imagination will serve you better than what you thought you learned in Sunday school, okay? Here we go. Maybe like any good cowboy story, you ever seen those movies that it starts at the end and you're like, what is going on? I don't really understand this. And then it, and then it stops and it goes, 12 years prior. You know what I mean? Like that, right? Well, we're, we're going to kind of do that with Exodus, but we're not even going to go to Exodus because I'm in the middle of a series called the Torah series. The Torah is what the first five books are called. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And for the Exodus story, we're actually going to start it in Numbers chapter uh, 13. I believe. Yeah, Numbers chapter 13 is where our Exodus story is going to start. But I, I want you to know that it's at a pivotal moment in the Exodus story, okay? The Israelites have 
gotten to the border of the promised land, Moses has sent 12 spies into the promised land and he said, I want to know what their defenses are like. I want to know what kind of food is available and what the people are like. Okay, so the 12 spies spies go in and they come back out with this report that is uh, given in Numbers chapter 13. Here we go. This was their report to Moses, starting in verses 27. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. Okay, now, if you remember the story, they have a pole with one bunch of grapes on it, but the the bunch of grapes, you know, all grapes that are on one stem, is so large that it takes two men with a pole to carry it, okay? A land flowing with milk and honey, here is the kind of fruit it produces. But, (laughs) but, now, if you want to understand the Exodus story in its completion and, and the history of the Israelite people, you must understand what follows this but, because it is the only reason that they do not go into the promised land. And we have just glossed over it. Let's read. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak, the Amalekite. Okay, now you have to know what did he just say right there? But now I've always said that if you ever hear of a statement that includes a but, everything before the but is bullcrap. Okay, everything before the but is bullcrap. So no matter what somebody says, and then they say, but. Everything before that's bullcrap. It didn't matter to them that the land was flowing with milk and honey and that there was grapes that you had to carry between two men. They didn't care about that because they said the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. And by powerful, we mean we saw the descendants of Anak there. Um, And then they list several tribes that they came across. And the reason these tribes are listed, if you want to go read a couple of really cool books on this subject, let me know. I will give them to you. But the reason that the following uh, tribes are mentioned is because they all contained giants. And I'm not talking about Victor Wimby Weatherby that plays for the Spurs that's seven foot tall. I'm talking about 10, 12, 14 foot tall people with six toes uh, on each foot, six fingers on each hand and double rows of teeth. And I know that people are going, why are you going? Because you have to understand this was a different time and place. I'm not saying it, the Bible does. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak, and then these tribes all had giants in there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, right? And the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea along the Jordan Valley, Listen, in Genesis chapter 6, we did Genesis two weeks ago, right? 
In Genesis chapter 6, verse 4, it says that in those days were the Nephilim, when the sons of God bred with the daughters of women, and the result of that was, an, was, was something not good. It was giants. Giants used to roam the earth. That's what the Bible says. And if you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, if you believe that he brought people back to life, if you believe that he cured leprosy, but somehow giants are too much for you? My gosh, the whole of Christianity is a miracle, right? It's a miracle. And, and Christianity these days has so just rubbed it with antiseptic to take anything that might be even a little bit ooh out. No, this is the reason that a million Jews were scared to go into the land that God promised them. Now you have to understand, at this time, at this time, we're about 1500 BC, I think. Yeah, about 1500 BC. 2500 BC is about where the flood was, or 3500, some, somewhere in there. So between the flood and now, there's been a thousand years that these things could breed. And Genesis 6, 4 says, in those days before and after the flood, giants walked the earth. Some people say that the reason that King David was a man after God's own heart is because he finally rid the land of Canaan of all the giants. Goliath was one, his brothers were some. The Anakim were an entire tribe of people that were all giants, right? That's why I said we saw the, the descendants of Anak, right? So you have to understand, if you think this is hard to understand, what we get into in Exodus is gonna blow your mind, okay? This is a different time and place. All right, let me make sure I got, oh. Uh, all the other tribes were those that contained many giants, okay? This is the sole reason they were scared to go into the promised land, I told you that. And listen, <laughs> if, if I can convince you of anything today, it's not giants, okay? And maybe it's this, that the Israelites were not scared to go into the promised land because of some spiritual giant they were facing in their life. Because that's what we've done with the Bible. We have spiritualized everything. No, there wasn't a spiritual giant that they were scared of in their life. They were scared because the, the, the uh, spies said, we were like, in, in, in another passage it says the same thing, that we were like grasshoppers. We felt like grasshoppers to them, and they looked at us like we were grasshoppers. Listen, they weren't, some, they weren't scared of some spiritual giant problem in their life that they couldn't get along with their son or something like that. No, these were big people that would squish you. Okay, I mean like, this is why they were scared to go in there. But yet all over history, we're like, and they, they were scared. No, they were scared for a reason. This was real. This wasn't a spiritual giant that they had to beat in their lives. And in another passage, it says that the land devours its inhabitants. Now, does it sound like a land flowing with milk and honey? would devour its own people? No, they were talking about the people that lived in the land because there's many scholars that think that the giants were cannibals. So when it says that the land devours its own, listen, they had a pretty good reason for not wanting to go there, okay? Pretty good reason. 
And listen, you cannot understand the Exodus story without the belief in the supernatural. And I know, see, in, in our, in, in Emily's talking about it at our Bible study. We have tried in our intelligence and our technology, we have tried to prove that everything that happened in the Bible that there was a logical explanation for. Go watch the History Channel. Go watch any documentary on the Exodus, and they will, sell, they will tell you, oh, well, this is what happened, logically speaking. They, they just try to erase God out of everything. I am the cure for that. <laughs> I will tell you exactly what the Bible says, okay? You cannot understand the Exodus story without the belief in the supernatural, as a matter of fact, the 10 plagues that set the Israelites free were actually 10 duels with the gods of Egypt, literally. And, and, and this set the precedence. What do you think happened on, on Mount Carmel with Elijah, right? When he, did, when he did battle with the prophets of Baal, they had a God contest. What can your God do? Well, it can do this. Well, my God can do this, right? It was a God duel. The whole deal with Pharaoh and Moses is a God duel between our God and the gods of Egypt. But before we get into that, let's set the stage. So the Israelites, we learned last week that in the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, especially during Jacob, there's a famine in Canaan. Uh, that family ends up in Israel, the start of the Israelites, and 400 years later, they are a nation of their own. They just didn't grow up in their own land, okay? They're enslaved for 400 years, and then the Pharaoh, who is long past the one that liked Joseph, right? The Pharaohs come and go. This Pharaoh is afraid that these, this nation that he has enslaved is getting too large, so he says, well, let's throw all the babies all the newborn babies, let's throw them in the river. Well, Moses' mama does that, but she puts him in a basket and kind of floats him, kind of cool like over to the Pharaoh's daughter who, who was taking a bath or something. And so she raised Moses as an Egyptian. And at 40 years old, some of you ain't even 40 years old, 40 years old, he goes and he sees an Egyptian uh, hurting a Hebrew, and so he kills the Egyptian. The Egyptians find out about it, and he has to leave Egypt or he's going to be killed. He spends the next 40 years, Ty, uh, Kathy, hold Ty's hand right now. He spends the next 40 years in the desert sheep herding. <laughs> that right there is worse than giants to Ty. It was hot as sin and nothing but sheep. <laughs> <laughs> that is hell, right? <laughs> to a cowboy. Uh, so he does that for 40 years, and then at 80 years old, <laughs> listen, a lot of you, a lot of you is crying, going, I don't know what God wants me to do. Even Moses was 80 before God really called him. Y'all be patient. The call's going to come, okay? Call's going to come. So, uh, and if any of you is having babies at 190, I want to know. Okay, I want to know. But anyway, so, so Moses is rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. He's raised as an Egyptian. He has to leave around 40 to go be a sheep herder in the desert. And then at 80 years old, a burning bush appeared to Moses and told him, and it was God telling him that he was going to use him to set his people free. And so to kind of fast forward, looking at the book of Exodus from way above where angels fly, what happens next 
is 10 plagues on Egypt. Because Moses walks in there and says, hey, the real God said you got to let all these people go. <laughs> Pharaoh's like, yeah, whatever. But Moses, see, was slow with speech. And, and let, me, let me let you in on a few things right quick, okay? The ancient Egyptians didn't have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy, okay? But yet in all of their hieroglyphics, they show Egyptians like this, and then a really tall being with the face of a bird, or the face of a, of a predator, or the face of a, a human, well, not even a human, birds, oh, ox. Uh, a cow, right? And in ancient Egypt, there's all these hieroglyphics of these really tall things with heads of a bird, a cow, or what's the other one? A bird, a cow, a predator, like a lion or something like that, right? And if you go back and read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you notice that the seraphim that guard the temple of God have four faces. One of them is human, one of them is a bird, one of them's an ox, and one of them's a predator, right? Listen, the gods of Egypt were basically like fallen angels that taught them how to do something and wanted the, the, the Egyptian people to worship them, not the real God. So when Moses goes to Pharaoh, this is a battle against the gods of Egypt. Let me tell you why. The first three plagues that come are, are a result of uh, Moses being scared because he's tongue-tied a little bit. He doesn't speak good in front of people. The first three uh, plagues actually come from Aaron. Aaron does them, and then after that, the rest of them are from Moses. But let's go through them real quick, okay? The ten, the war on the gods of Egypt. The first one is they turn the Nile to blood. This was in battle against Hapi, H-A-P-I, who was the god of the Nile, okay? So they turn the Nile blood, and even the Egyptians were able to do the same thing. They were able to do the same thing. Where do you think they got that power? Demonic. They were able to do the same thing that Aaron did. The next one, frogs coming from the Nile. This was a battle against the Egyptian god Heket, H-E-K-E-T, who had the face of a frog, and it was frogs coming out of the Nile. She was the Egyptian goddess of fertility, water, and renewal. They made frogs appear, and guess what? The Egyptians did too. They did the same things. Where did they get that power? It was demonic power. But then they get to the third one. And the third one is that dust that laid everywhere turned to lice, okay? Dust turned into lice. This was an attack on the Egypt god Geb, who is always painted either with the face of a goose or a goose above her head. She is the Egyptian goddess or Egyptian god of the earth. Okay, now they turned dust to lice and now the Egyptians can't do it anymore. And Pharaoh's like, okay, maybe that is the real God. Um, I'll let you make sacrifices, but you can't go anywhere. And they're like, no, that's not gonna happen. So four through, four through 10, 
Swarms of flies was an attack on Kepri, who had an insect head. Uh, death of cattle and livestock was a battle against Hathor, who, was, who had a cow's face, who was the Egyptian god of love and protection. Hail in the, oh wait, at number six was ashes turned to boils and sores. Okay, now they got frogs everywhere right? The fish are dying because the Nile's turned to blood, right? There's lice everywhere. There's swarms of flies. People are dying. Now cattle have died. They're bit, they can't bury everything. They've just got it in big bonfires. And, and there's ash everywhere from these fires. And now the ashes, as soon as they touch skin, they turn to a painful boil. And then after that, that is, that is against the, the Egyptian god Isis, who always has a throne above his head. He was the Egyptian god of medicine and peace. The seventh is the hell in the form of fire. That is against the, the god Nut, who was a cow. Read what you may into that. Egyptian god of the sky. And then there's locusts sent from the sky. That was against Seth, who's always pictured as a dog, the Egyptian god of storms and disorder. And then the next to last is three days of complete darkness. That is against the god Ra, who is the sun god, one of their main gods. God is saying, he ain't got no power. I can make it dark for three days. And he did. But still, Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. And so now we come to the most important part of all of Judaism and Christianity. Everything comes down to the 10th plague. And in the 10th plague, what Moses, God tells Moses to do is that every family is supposed to take a sheep that is spotless and, and, and sacrifice it in a special way and prepare it in a special way. Don't break its bones, but do this and put the blood on the doorposts of, your, of the main door going in your house. Then that night, the angel of the Lord was gonna pass through Egypt and kill every firstborn son that wasn't protected by the blood of the lamb. And finally, Pharaoh says, Y'all get the heck out of here. His own son died, right? And that comes to be known as Passover. If you've ever heard the word Passover, it comes from the 10th plague in the Exodus. These are supernatural plagues. They are not once in a generation uncommon weather phenomenon, okay? These are supernatural things that God makes happen, saying and proving that he is the one true God that has uh, power over everything. Now, all of these plagues, all of these plagues happen in about 40 days. Isn't that ironic? Numbers just keep coming up, don't they? 40 days, 40 days. But there's kind of an interesting story within these plagues and it's, and it's the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, okay? Because in Exodus 8, it says, 8.32 says, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. 
Okay, so, so Pharaoh's just choosing to ignore everything that he sees, right? And then in Exodus 9, though, it says, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Now, wait a minute. Why would God harden somebody's heart? That, isn't God supposed to save people? Well, he does, but, but th- th- this is what I learned from that. The heat of the sun, the same heat of the sun that will make a clay brick hard will melt butter, right? The same heat will bake a clay brick into stone hard or make butter soft as a liquid. See, what God's presence does to people is it reveals your true heart. That's all it is. So yes, you could say the sun melted the butter, but it was just because of what the butter was made of is why the heat from the sun melted it. No different than the clay brick, right? So just being that close to God's presence all around him, Pharaoh's heart was already hard. So yes, God's presence did make Pharaoh's heart go hard, but it was already on its way, okay? Uh, And then during this 40 days, listen, the Pharaoh says, y'all get out of here. The next day, all of the Israelites pack up and get this. The Egyptians want them gone so bad that they bring out their worldly possessions and give it to the Israelites. So the Israelites leave and they're a wealthy nation already, right? Now, what happens next? Anybody? The Red Sea, right? The Red Sea crossing. Okay, now here's a misunderstanding. That happened 25 days after Passover. Okay, we have it in our mind that they were like, he said, get out of here. And they sprinted and then they came to a big pond and Pharaoh came after them. No, it actually took them 25 days to get to the Red Sea. Well, 25 days is when Pharaoh showed up. It took them 18 days of travel to make it to the Red Sea and they had been camped there for seven days before that happened. Okay, so, you know, in, in our nice little clean Exodus story, everything's happening, bam, 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 bam. But, the, you know, the, the all 10 plagues probably took about 40 days. And then from the time of Passover to the Red Sea crossing was 25 days, uh, seven in camp and 18 traveling. And that's when they, when they were camped there, not knowing what to do is when Pharaoh showed up. And in and, and one of my favorite passages ever in Exodus, <laughs> God tells Moses, I mean, they can see Pharaoh coming and Moses is praying and God said, quit praying and get out of there. (laughs) There's a great big lesson in there for a lot of people, okay? You've done enough praying, now it's got, now it's time to move, okay? The fulfillment of prayer is your action, okay? The fulfillment of that prayer is your action. Okay, so... They cross the Red Sea, Pharaoh crosses after them, the sea falls in on them and destroys Pharaoh's army. Now, 50 days after Passover, 50 days after Passover, Moses is up on a mountain that the Bible refers to as Mount Sinai. 
And he is given a list of instructions that God's new nation, that he is just freed from captivity, that they will be given a contract where God says, I will do this if y'all will do this. This is the contract. Here's my part of the bargain. Here's your part of the bargain, okay? That was 50 days. The first covenant from Moses, not the first covenant God had ever done, but the first covenant from Moses happened 50 days after Passover. You wanna know what else happened 50 days after Passover? Pentecost. Pentecost is what happens. And if you don't know what happened at Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, when Jesus was uh, killed, 50 days later, Peter is preaching at Pentecost and a flame appears over everybody's head that's a believer and they all start speaking not in unknown languages, in known languages that were not their own. Do you hear what I said? Not in, they weren't speaking in unknown languages, they were speaking in known languages unknown to them. And more importantly, I think what it was is people were hearing their own language, not language that was being spoken, okay? But, the, but on top of Mount Sinai, we'll read in a minute, it's fire and lightning and all of this stuff because that's where the presence of God is. And then at Pentecost, you know, about 1,500 years later, now there's fire over the heads of people. Guys, this is supernatural. This is exciting stuff. This is the power of God. We must get him out of that antiseptic box that we have cleaned and polished our statue of God and, and he'll go wherever we wanna go and he answers prayers and all of our prayers, whatever we want, right? That's not the God that we serve. It's not the God we serve. So, uh, Three main stories after the Red Sea. God gives manna in the desert, okay? Manna is, is this white substance that just shows up and the people are able to eat it and it fully nourishes them, right? That happens. And then water comes from a split rock, okay? God tells Moses, go up and whack this rock with, a, with your stick and water will come out of it. So Moses does. He goes up there and whacks a rock with a stick and water comes out of it. Do not mistake this part with the part that keeps Moses from going into the promised land because later on, God tells Moses in another time of water need, go speak to the rock and he does it like he does the first time because he's mad and he hits the rock instead. He disobeys God. That's why he wasn't able to go into the promised land. And then during Moses receiving the new covenant, uh, he come down with the 10 commandments on two tablets. He'd just been face to face with God. He come down, there was a battle of 10 plagues three nights of darkness, ever, all of this stuff dying, blah, blah, blah. And they come down and they had made a golden calf of Hathor. Remember that God of livestock? He wasn't up there three days and come back down and they, they were already worshiping another God, right? He gets some mad, he throat punches everybody with the stone tablets and breaks them. That's my version, that is not biblical. That is not, he breaks the tablets, there's no doubt about that. I think it was from swinging at people's throats, okay? Because that's probably what I'd have done. 
But, but what about the supernatural stuff? What about the supernatural stuff? Exodus 19. You tell me if this sounds natural to you. Exodus 19, 18 and 19. Now my, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder. Now, does anybody think that that is not supernatural? If you do not think that is supernatural, I would like you to show me something that is not a volcano that fits that right there, right? Why did that do it? Because the presence of God was there. This earth, it's a sinful earth now. I mean, the presence of God in a sinful world is devastating right? It's absolutely devastating. And even when Moses came down, his face shone like a bright sun. Okay, supernatural. I said you couldn't really grasp the Exodus story without getting all the supernatural stuff. I, I just, I, I listened to sermon after sermon and there were good sermons, but it was all spiritual. It was all, what kind of lesson can we learn from manna? That God will take care of you. Drive on, Right? We ain't got to do a 10-part exposition on that, right? You got 10 plagues, burning bushes, Red Sea miracle, manna from heaven, water from a rock, and now a mountain trying to hold up the presence of God, right? Not only that, but you remember that, that desert that he went and sheep herded in? Now he's leading a, about a million people or so through that desert, and God is leading them a cloud by day, and a fire by night. Why would you need a cloud during the day? Because it's freaking hot. It's hot in the desert. A cloud. They stayed under the cloud. Where the cloud went, they went. God is protecting them. Why would you need a fire at night? Because it gets cold in the desert. God, and you can see the cloud during the day. You can see the fire at night. God is constantly, supernaturally taking care of his people and he will supernaturally take care of you. You know that problem that you're worried about, that giant size problem that you're worried about that you can't see no logical way out of? Great, that's when God comes in because he's a God of miracles. How can you believe in a miracle of God without believing in a giant that the Israelites were afraid to go in and face? These were mighty warriors, men of renown. All of Exodus is supernatural, and it is meant to be that way. It was written by God that way. I didn't write it. God did. So the rest of Exodus, okay? Here's the funny part. Exodus is like 40 chapters, right? We're at like chapter 13, and there's 40 chapters to go. <laughs> so the rest of the Exodus talks about building a place for God. Weird, huh? Weird. So God tells Moses to build the Ark of the Covenant. What is the Ark of Covenant? Is, is a box and it's got a lid on it. Inside the box is Aaron's rod, the Ten Commandments, and some manna from heaven. And on top of the box is a lid. On the lid is two angels, four wings, supposed to be seraphim with their wings touching. 
And when the high priest made the final sacrifice, he would sprinkle blood in between the seraphim because that's where God resided is between the cherubim. But when you read Ezekiel and you read Isaiah and you read Revelation and you hear about the throne of God, what holds up the throne of God? Seraphim. He's between the seraphim in heaven. Now, why would God be doing all of this stuff? Right? So he makes the, the Ark of the Covenant, the box that holds the covenant, right? The original covenant with the mercy seat and everything. And then God tells Moses elaborate, elaborate plans on how to build the Ark, or not the Ark, the tabernacle, which is a tent with two rooms in it. The smaller room holds the Ark of the Covenant. That's called the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest can enter there once a year. Then you have your your inner deal that priests can go in, right? And then you have your outer court. And then you have everybody, all the Israelites uh, camped out. Now, if you remember, this is about the time when Balak ends up uh, uh, getting Balaam to curse Israel. Now, if you remember the sermon before, how the Israelite camp, the tabernacle set in the middle of the camp, right? Now, the rules for spreading out was nobody could park their tents northwest, northeast, southeast, southwest. You could not do it. You had to lay your tents out in a cardinal direction. And there's 12 tribes of Egypt. They divided it by four. So three tribes on each, three tribes to the south, three tribes the east, blah, 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 right? But the, the tribes camps can't be wider than the tabernacle. So you can't fit all these people into this much space. So it's really long. Well, when they divided them up, there was three that were real, a lot. Those are in the, this one. And then there was two groups that had about equal number. They were in this one and one group was the smallest and they camped this way. So if you were looking at the Israelite camp from above, what would you have seen? A cross. Supernatural. It's all supposed to be like that. Why did God spend so much time? Why did God spend so much time, so many chapters of the Bible, telling how to build the tabernacle step by step by step by step? Because it was going to be his dwelling place. It was the blueprint for the first temple that's built. That is the blueprint for the second temple that will be built after the first one's destroyed. But the tabernacle is a blueprint of what it's like in heaven, right? Listen, in Matthew 6, 9 and 10, Jesus tells us why God gave so much attention to his dwelling place on earth. In this manner, Jesus talking, in this manner, Matthew 6, 9 and 10, in this manner, therefore, pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The tabernacle was an echo of God's throne in heaven. And then later when the temple is built, same thing, on earth as it is in heaven, right? So the book ends, the book ends with the tabernacle complete, okay? Exodus chapter 40 
verses 35, 34 and 35, right at the end of the book. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Wow. That is what the Exodus story is all about. Now, next week, we're going to get into the exciting book of Leviticus. <laughs> and I, my gifts will be put to the limit next week. But I promise you, I, already, I started on it yesterday. Actually, I've already been started on it for a while now. But it's going to be fun. You'll learn some things that you absolutely didn't know. And I hope that you will change your outlook on what Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy have, how they have shaped not only the Jewish nation, but what roots Christianity also has. And in these roots, is miracles of God taking care of people no different than you. God loves you and he wants to work a miracle in your life and he wants you to believe in him. And that's the only thing he asks is to believe. But when you believe, remember last week, when you believe, what happens? You start to obey. And when you start to obey, you start to submit. And that's when your life actually changes. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, I thank you for your story, the story of you and your people that was once the Jews, still are, but now us as the church, the mystery that has been revealed. God, we, we glorify and we bless all that is your word. God, I just, if you're not glorified, God, we don't want to do it. And everything that you have done for your people, God, we acknowledge it and we worship you. God, you are our protector. You are our love. You are our life. No breath exists within us except at your will. And God, may we use that breath to proclaim your glory. And it's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.